Numbers chapter 31. Uh, while you're finding Numbers 31, I want to just give a shout out to the volunteers that we had. We had a little breakfast back there if you've been serving and volunteering, and we are so grateful for your help with that. So I think there's plenty of food back there if you want to grab something on the way out. Numbers 31, and I'm concluding our series called Desert Storm, which has been a study of the warfare that exists in wilderness seasons. You know, the wilderness is a remote and dry place that everybody goes through in life. And in those seasons, that's where you learn how to endure. Now, I want to highlight for you uh, the first three verses here of this chapter, and then we're going to uh, pray. Here's what our text says, Numbers 31, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel, and afterward you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we do thank you for the word of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to uh, see, ears to hear, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I'm praying, Lord, for anyone who might be down or frustrated in discouragement or battle, Lord, that you help pick us up and grow us in the things of God. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Uh, you know, Halloween in 2021 is actually a pretty tame event. Because my grandfather told me what life was like in the 1930s and what Halloween used to be. In his day, they had what he called ruffigans. And they would run around and prank you. And in those days, what kids would do if they didn't like you was knock over your outhouse. That's a frustrating thing if you've ever had to use the outhouse and it knocked over. And so a couple of, of the older guys, they decided they had to get a strategy to figure out which little rebellious kids were knocking over their outhouses. So one guy thought about painting tar on the side of the outhouse. And that way, the next day, when he found his outhouse knocked over, he found kids with tar on their hands and tar on their nose, and those were the kids that got in trouble. See, they had a strategy against those kids. He could find out until who it was. I'm, I'm just telling you, you are going to need a strategy for some of the difficult situations you face in life. And this morning, what I want to highlight are strategies from the Lord. Here in, in verse 2, he said, take vengeance on the Midianites, and afterward you'll be gathered to your people. This is God's final order to Moses. And what he's laying out here in the next verses are going to be some strategies. I want to highlight for you the four strategies that I found against strife. Four things that help you kind of assess and push back at really what the devil is trying to create and work and force in your life. Now, in these strategies against strife... Uh, you know, I call it strife because the word Midian, you know what it means? It's very simple. Midian literally means strife. I mean, that's, that's what their name said. It's a, it's a conflict. So this morning, what I'm going to highlight is this fight uh, against the friction, some of the tension that people have. And I, I, I think ba uh, back about what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He, he said, avoid foolish disputes uh, and harmful conversations because they generate strife. That, that's an interesting thought to me. Because a lot of times I might get in an argument with my wife, and, I, and like a week later, I have no idea what we thought about. You know what I'm talking about? It, it exhausts you, it wastes your time, and strife is one of those things in battle that just kind of picks away at you and steals and exhausts your energy. And so this morning, I want to highlight these strategies against strife in, in the relationships that we have, in the journey that we have when we're in wilderness seasons. Numbers 31, and look at verse number 3. It says that Moses spoke to the people, 
And he said, arm yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. If you remember last week, we talked about Numbers 22, when Midian actually hired a prophet, Balaam, we'll read about him in a little bit, to curse Israel. And so he was trying to thwart their journey. And so God had had enough of that. And he said, I want you to go against them. In verse 4, he said, a thousand from each tribe. And all the tribes of Israel you'll send. So they were recruiting divisions of Israel. And he mentions the word a thousand again. He says 12,000 from each tribe. And Moses said in verse 6, he said to them, 1,000 shall go from each tribe. I found it interesting that he made reference to a thousand people going repeatedly. Here's the point I want to make. The first strategy I would highlight for you against strife has to do with going out on the offensive. When you're in battle, you sometimes have to go out and be on the offensive. He said, get a thousand people from each tribe. 1,000, 12,000, 1,000, get those thousand and go out there in, in battle. Now, I looked up the word thousand in biblical numerology books. And one of the one of the commentators made reference that a thousand is a number that means to resist against the darkness or to push back on what the adversary is trying to do to you. Uh, you know, we could call this point resist the devil. You got to have some form of resistance against the devil, and the Bible says that he'll flee from it. You got to push back on him. It's interesting to note in Deuteronomy 32 that one of you shall chase away a thousand, and two of you shall chase ten thousand. Uh, I find it interesting that in Judges 15, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Or we could think about the book of Revelation, chapter 20, in which the Bible says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. It, it, it's like there's this period of time where it, it's a pushback. There's a resistance. Now, in order for you to advance forward, in order for you to go on the offensive, you're going to have to do what they did and you're going to have to arm yourself. That's what Moses said. Arm yourselves for battle. And in these days, you know, they were using swords and spears and natural battles. But my Bible tells me that the battle that we're in now is not a natural conflict. It's a spiritual conflict. Yeah, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So we have spiritual armor that we take into battle with us. We're wearing spiritual things. And that means that you're not really fighting people. You're fighting devils. People are not your problem. And I know you like to think they are and get frustrated with them, but whenever I have to go into a confrontation of time, I like to spend time beforehand in a prayer closet taking authority over the adversary and praying. I like to get out ahead of it and push back against the darkness. That's a tactic in spiritual warfare. You've got to go on the offensive. And what I found out about people is a lot of times they have a difficult time really getting out ahead of things. When we talk about going on the offensive, you have to be assertive. That means that you can't be passive and let something push back on you. And in this culture, it's like we've got a lot of people who really don't know how to exercise the authority that God has given them to gain uh, territory, to advance against the enemy. People tend to be timid. They, they don't really know how to step out and stay strong in their faith how to be assertive. It's like they just kind of, you know, get under stress and they forget about things. I, I was going through the closet the other day. I found my dad's old Vietnam uniform. He was telling me about 1968 in Vietnam. They got rocketed by 
uh, the, the, uh, the North Vietnamese army, and he was in a guard booth, and he said when the rockets started coming in, he ran up to the booth, and his adrenaline was pumping so much, and, and he'd forgotten how to load the machine gun. He had a 50 caliber gun and he was trying to figure it out while he was trying to process information. And, and that's where a lot of people find themselves at. They, they find themselves stuck in moments where they don't know what to do. Anyone ever seen that Vietnam movie by Mel Gibson called We Were Soldiers? It's a true story. And his platoon, his battalion that he's leading is about to be wiped out at the bottom of a hill. And as he's sitting there with bullets flying, he's trying to think about how to handle this moment. And they conclude the only way to win is to go on the offensive and go up, have anticipated, attack the, the commanding general on the top of the hill, something they would never have anticipated. That was a military tactic. Instead of letting everyone come after you and being on the defensive, we need to go towards the offensive. This is what people don't understand about spiritual warfare. You've got to get out ahead of it. You've got to get on the offensive. You've got to you got to deal with things. Otherwise, you'll stay in a place of victimhood. And I'm just telling you this morning, the blood of Jesus has made a victory for you, so you're not a victim. And we live in a society today that lives in victimhood and sits back and lets people push us around. But we have been given authority in the name of Jesus. You've got to go out and be on the offensive. You've got to get out ahead of situations. If you've got strife in a relationship, this is exactly what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18. He said, that if you have a problem against your brother, the first thing you ought to do is go to your brother. You've got to get out ahead of it and go after that problem. Go deal with it. Now, I've tried to make this a habit in my life. If I've got a problem, if I know there's some frustration or some angst, or if there's things going on, I do everything I can to try to go make it right with the person. And you know, usually that works really well for me because, you know, I'm not a scary guy. I'm a kind guy. You know, we can sit down and talk about it. But there are moments where if you're trying to, you know, deal with an issue, sometimes people don't know how to process that. And they may not want to talk about it in a moment if there's a hot point, And you may have to wait on it. But my feeling is I try to get out ahead of strife, ahead of conflict. I try to deal with it as best I can. I'm trying to stay on the offensive because I like to solve problems, and I know Jesus has given me the authority. He's given me the victory. That's what Moses is telling. Take 12,000 men and go out and fight the Midianites. Get on the offensive. The first strategy you've got to incorporate is to stay on the offensive. Don't sit back on your laurels. Go out ahead of them. Now, here's the second strategy, and I'm still in verse 6. And, and this verse says that Moses sent these men to war with Phinehas. Somebody say Phinehas. Phineas, who it says was the son of Eleazar, the high priest. And he said, go with the holy articles and with the signal trumpets in your hand. Now, this is something that the Lord really highlighted to me this week when it comes to fighting battles. Here's the point I want to make. Is if you're going to have a strategy, you're going to have to be inspired by something. You need to be inspired. You know, Phineas is the son of Eleazar, the high priest, who was... Like the great, that means that Phineas would have been the great grand, the great nephew of Moses. They were a family related. And Phineas is a guy who people really rallied behind. And that is because if you read back in Numbers 25, we were saying last week that Balak had sent Balaam to curse them. He'd put a, a witchcraft against Israel. He was trying to work against them. And so Balaam's Balaam's advice was to get scantily clad women, have them cross over 
the lines and have them engaged in sexual intercourse with the men. And in doing that, he said, you'll bring a curse upon you. You'll, you'll stop them. And so the scriptures say in Numbers 25 that Phineas got himself a spear. And when these people were engaged in you know, sexual activities, he started stabbing his spear through people. Now, I know you might find that horrifying, but that's what the Bible you know, says in scripture. I mean, he, he, he went after it. And for that act, the Bible says he was accounted as a righteous man. Phineas is a fan favorite. He's a bad man. Nobody wanted to mess with him. And he had the ability to inspire the troops because of the stance that he took for godliness in that situation. They were all in following him. And what I've found out in battles, when you're engaged in a fight, when you have a conflict, sometimes you need to be inspired. Something on the inside of you has to come alive and be quickened. It's just like, man, you know, when I'm in a battle, sometimes a leader that I love might inspire me to do something great for God. It just inspires a person. It's a little bit like watching Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's 44, I'm 41. He makes me feel still like a young man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, he's, I mean, how many Super Bowls has that man played in? And I was watching, yeah, the guy from Boston knows exactly how many. <laughs> I was watching Tom Brady like rally his troops. And what he does that other people can't do is he just fires people up. I mean, they made it to the Super Bowl, and this big old linebacker, Levante David, is balling. We're going to the Super Bowl. And they got Tom Brady on a video, and he comes over, and he shoves him, and he says, we got one more game. And then he cussed him out. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then the guy was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> got him fired up. See, you, you need people to inspire you. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a teacher. You know, I was at the beginning of the year in Florida with my dear friend, Pastor Larry Stockstill doing some pastor training. And man, I'm telling you, it inspired me to be a godly man. It inspired me as a leader. It inspired me to want to teach the Bible, to pastor. Something about being around somebody you love inspires you. Sometimes you get inspiration from a word in season. Maybe God drops a verse in your heart, a rhema word, where God breathes it to you. You're reading through the Bible, and you get a, a verse that means something to you. It's God highlighting it so that you can fight battles. Sometimes you get a word in season from you know, uh, someone who you know, maybe shares something prophetically. They felt the Lord sharing something with. I'll never forget, I had a woman a few years ago when we were at the cafeteria, and I said to her, hey, I feel like I've got a word for you. And she was a bit skeptical. Now, I do most of my prophesying in the hallways, in case you haven't figured it out yet. So I like to grab you out there. She's looking at me like, oh, yeah, what's that? And I said, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, be immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Starts crying right there on the spot. Because it, it hit a button. It's, it was like it, that, there's a word that inspired her to keep moving forward. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Fight the good fight. Through the prophecies spoken over you, wage the good warfare. There's something about a word when it comes alive about the promises of God, about his purpose in your life, and it, it motivates you. Because what happens is when you hear a word from God, it might trigger a memory. And, and you know, memories can inspire you. You think back about how God delivered you from a sickbed, how he brought you out of you know, debt and financial hardship, how you had nothing and yet he was there. You think about how you had friends show up in moments when you needed them, and you remember God's hand of faithfulness in your life, and it inspires you. 
There's a memory that comes alive. You know what else triggers memories a lot of times is music. So you hear a certain song, and you might go back to 1999, like when I graduated from high school. I'll hear music, and I'm like, I remember. <laughs> and it triggers an emotion. And so sometimes when I'm in battle, I, I got to put some music on. And there's different types of warfare I might be engaged with. Sometimes the music that I need has got a little boom and shake so I can dance around. And you don't want to see me do that. You could barely watch me clap on beat in the front row. But I managed to get a praise on before the Lord. And, and there's something about the right music that can set you up. Sometimes I need music that's a little more, you know, symphony style. It's calm. It calms me down so I can concentrate. I'm just telling you, that's how I fight battles. Think about how, you know, Phineas is going to battle with a with, with a, a signet horn. He, he, it's, a, it's a rallying cry. He's, he's making some music, and, and, and that inspires people. When you hear music that's being played, when, when you're inspired about something, that's how you can wage warfare and get through battles. It might be with a person. It might be with a word. It might be with some music, but that is one of the ways that you can fight back and resist the devil when he comes after you. You've got to be inspired. Now, let me give you number three here, and I'm in verse 7. It says that the children of Israel warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Bible gets graphic and says they killed all the males. That would be all the soldiers in battle. And they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. He's going to mention these kings, Evi and Rechem, Zer, Her, Reba, the five kings of Midian. In those days, if these kings were like the mayor of a town, and so there was these towns with soldiers and all the kings of those towns were killed. And then in the little details of the Bible, it makes a side reference to a man named Balaam. You remember this guy last week? Balaam, the son of Beor, they killed with a sword. Now I was reading about this. I was praying. I said, Lord, what, what are we trying to highlight here? What, what does this speak to us about battle? And it, it just came to me that you have to remember that you're going to reap whatever you sow. We have to remember that, particularly in battle. We reap the things that we sow. They've killed the men. They've killed the kings who came against them. They killed the soldiers. And, and now they're killing Balaam, the guy who was hired to pronounce a curse upon Israel. That guy is killed with the sword. And, you know, it, it reminds me about the witchcraft that he was using against Israel. And what, this is the way the Bible says it. That whatever a man sows, that is what he's also going to reap. Moses, just a page over in your Bible here in Numbers 32, would say that you can be sure your sin will find you out. And so here is Balaam, who had been operating in witchcraft, and he's going to reap the whirlwind. I mean, he's trying to curse him with spells, and when they finally find him, they end up cutting his head off. And it just speaks about warfare it speaks about the things that you sow in battle. Let me tell you why what you sow is so important in life. It could be that the battle that you're in, the struggle that you're faced with, the stripe that you're dealing with, actually had to do with seeds that you have sown in previous seasons of life. It could be that the battle that you're faced with it is because of bad seed. The reason you're always in a fight is because you're actually a negative critical person. And it hadn't dawned on you yet. And so what you're doing is just reaping back the things that you've sown. It could be that the battle you're having with indigestion came because you had too much candy on Halloween. And we can pray all we want, but God is not going to bless 55 Reese's peanut butter cups. Come on, some. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm just saying, you could be broke because you haven't followed a budget. And then you think, I'm in a battle. And really what it is is because you have sown some bad seed. You know, when you're in the middle of, you know, warfare and strife, when you're in the middle of conflict, that's a place to be very careful about what you sow. Think about when you start feeling angry and you want to let somebody have it and, and you want to just kind of curse them and get frustrated. That's where the book of James says that the tongue is a, a little fire that does great things. Think about how big of a fire your little tongue can start. That's what the scriptures say. And the scriptures also tell you in Proverbs 15 that a soft answer will turn away wrath. So it might be that that little moment you take to sow a kind, merciful word when you don't feel like doing it might be the seed that needs to be sown to de-escalate the situation. Yeah. The scripture says that if God is dealing with you or you're frustrated in battle and, and you accept and embrace it as his discipline, then you will have the peaceable fruits of righteousness in your life. And I've just found out that when there's conflict or frustration, sometimes you've got to be assertive and go on the offensive and other times, you've got to be careful about the seeds that you sow. Because here's the thing about a seed. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will come back to you. Whatever you've sown is going to come back multiplied. So when you sow mercy and grace, it will come back multiplied to you. Think about the seeds that people sow. I mean, sometimes they don't even know that they're sowing them. Sometimes you can be intentional about sowing. When I sow seeds of love, and kindness and mercy, and when I'm intentional about it, when I'm frustrated and dealing with situations that I don't like, sometimes it's that, that intentional seed that can turn the whole battle. You know, I had a friend one time, we were just on a different page in terms of theologically. We, we, we were seeing things differently, and we started to get frustrated with each other, but what we decided was we were going to go ahead and honor one another and sow the right seed. And by doing that and walking down that road together, it saved a friendship and it, it allowed the two of us to, to model and demonstrate love. Had I not been able to sow those seeds, I don't know what would have happened in that relationship. But I'm happy that I sowed the right seed. The question is, what seed are you sowing? Because it is going to result in, in conflict or it can result in peace. And that little thing that you do, that little word that you speak, that little action that you've taken, maybe it's to curse someone like Balaam did or to bless someone like Jesus did. I'm telling you, it's going to have a huge payoff in your life. So when you're in battle, you got to be careful about the seeds that you sow. These are the things that the scripture reveals to us. Just looking at Balaam's life. I'm glad that Phineas was there to deal with the problem. Now, let me give you one more thought here. At the end of the chapter, jump down to verse number 48. It tells us that officers who were over thousands in the army and captains of thousands, there's all those thousand people that came out to conflict. And, and it said they came to Moses and Moses said to them, your servants have taken account of all the men of war who are under our command. And watch this. Not one man of us is missing. Now, this is a great strategy. It is that they ask for divine protection. You need divine protection in battle. Can you imagine that they didn't have one man dead? They had 12,000 people out there going to battle. You know, casualties are a natural consequence of battle. I mean, it's like they just happen. You know, I was at a buddy's house with my wife. 
Elizabeth's not here today. She had an operation this week. She's doing really well. But I'm going to pick on her for a moment. Because, you know, we went over to this guy's house, and he had a military flag on the wall. And she was intrigued by it. So she asked him. She said, uh, what does Palmia mean? And he said, do you, do you mean POW and MIA, prisoner of war and missing in action? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> hey, she is Canadian, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> she wasn't used to it. I'll never forget that. But this happens in battle. I mean, you're, you're going to be engaged in warfare. And I think Moses is actually attributed with right in Psalm 91. Maybe from this experience. He said, a thousand may fall on my side, and ten thousand on my right hand. But he said, it will not come near me. And there's something about God's hand of protection in battle that you need to keep you safe. Think about his protective hand. Sometimes... He, he has, he's got an innumerable ways of protecting you. But sometimes your protection is dependent upon obedience in the situation. And that's what happened here with, with Moses. I mean, they told him, take Joshua, take Phineas, go out into battle. And for that, God blessed him. And if you would just obey what the Lord has said to you, I mean, you know, if you honor the elderly and you put God first with your life and you seek the face of the Lord and you forgive people, it's like, man, right there, God will bless that. He will protect you. And I think about, you know, Moses and Phineas right here, they're blessed in battle. But I think about King Saul, who disobeyed the word of the Lord from Samuel, and it cost him the kingdom. The hand of protection lifted off of him. So when God prompts you with something, when he puts something in your heart, you got to obey it. You got to do what he says if you want his hand of protection on your life. You got to be sensitive to to, to say, Lord, is this what you're leading me to do? And I'm going to act on that. And in doing that, there's a place of protection. You know, protection is found in the presence of the Lord. There's something about his presence that will protect you in battle. And I think about Phineas, who's going into battle, you know, with that, with that trumpet, but he's also got with him, we read back in verse 6, the articles of the ark. It could have been the ark of the covenant, Scholars aren't really sure what he took into battle, what that reference is to, but it signifies the presence of God. I have found that when I'm in a battle, if I can just get into God's presence, that's a place where he'll protect me. Man, I can feel stuff falling off of me. I, I can feel a protective hedge, a barrier around me. And it's just the presence of the Lord that's allowing me to just move forward without facing resistance. It's God's presence. And you can... You can be protected in God's presence. The blood of Jesus will protect you. I mean, Exodus chapter 12, the destroying angel is in the land, and he passed over the houses when he saw that blood was on the doorpost of each home. And I've got the blood of Jesus that has been applied to my heart and my life, and that's what I pray over my children, I pray over my home, and his blood is a protective barrier that stops the adversary from coming against me. It's a protective thing. You know, the name of Jesus is a protective thing because the name of the Lord, Proverbs says, is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. And there's just something about his protective name. I mean, that's where provision is found. That's where peace and there's sown. That, that's where the promises of God exist. They exist in the name that is above every name. And there's something powerful about the name of Jesus that will protect you in a fight. Man, I might be, you know, I was driving my camper this year, and we got stuck somewhere, and I started saying, in Jesus' name, we're getting out of this. I thank God for the name of Jesus, man. It protected me, his name, his blood. You know what else I find is very protective in battle? 
is when I pray in the Spirit, by praying in other tongues. And what happens is it's like clarity comes to my mind. And I'm able, when I do that, it's like I have more understanding about what I need to do in a situation. Things slow down. And I found that if I'm really in a battle, sometimes the best thing I can do is just get alone with God, worship Him, pray in the Spirit. And it's like that's where God fights my battles. I mean, there's something about spending time in his presence that allows you to navigate through all the weeds and the problems and the strife and the minutiae and, and, and dealing with people. It's just being in his presence. is in that place. Not a man of them was missing. I mean, what an incredible testimony. And, and you'll notice they had a response to that in verse 50. He, he said, none of us are missing, and so we have brought an offering to the Lord of what every man found in that battle, ornaments of gold and armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces. All these were made of gold to make atonement for ourselves and to the Lord. These guys were grateful, and so they're going to honor God. They're going to put them first. You know, the book of Malachi says that when you honor God in tithes and offerings, when you bring the first and the best that you have to the Lord, he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And what these guys are demonstrating is, God, we're grateful, and so we're just going to bless and honor you with the first things that we have. And I found out that when you give God the first, he's able to protect you. And if you've ever been in some kind of a financial fight, man, there's something about honoring God, putting him first, tithing. I give my money to the Lord. I make sure that I'm blessed and protected that way. Man, there's something significant and powerful about that. And when I think about you know, these strategies, I mean, they're right there. They're very clear for us. And you've got to apply some strategies in your life if you want to overcome some of the fights and the battles that you're faced with. Because you might not have an outhouse that someone knocks over, but you, you have some battles you might be faced with that you need a strategy for. Yeah, you, what is your strategy? What exactly is it? And is that strategy even working? I mean, I know people who are in battle and they don't even, they don't even have strategies. They just kind of sit back. That, that's why you got to be assertive. You got to get out ahead of it and go on the offensive. I mean, it, it's amazing to me in society today. People just sit back in victimhood. I bet you if we asked with a show of hands, how many of you could be more assertive in a situation? I bet just about everybody could think about a moment when you could have done that. A situation you might be faced with right now. I can be more assertive in this battle, in this moment that I'm dealing with. Be a, get out ahead of it. Arm yourselves and go out for battle. That's the rallying cry that he gave you. Maybe the problem that you have faced with though this morning is that you're not really inspired by something. What exactly inspires you? Who exactly inspires you? Who are you looking at? Who are you walking with that you can say, you know what? That fires me up and I'm going to go take care of this. Do you have somebody in your life that's firing you up? Is there a verse from the Bible that comes alive when you read it and it reminds you of the promises of God that are yes and amen in Him? You need to be inspired if you're going to pick up your sword and go after something. It will come alive. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the seeds that you've sowed, man. I mean, that could be the reason you're in the battle right now. And maybe it's the reason you're in the battle, but I'm telling you, it's also your way out of the battle. Is if you'll sow the right seed, of mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, obedience to the Lord. That's how he's going to bring you out of difficult situations. That's how you overcome and wage the good warfare. By, by just doing the right thing consistently, day in and day out, sowing the right seeds 
walking in love and forgiveness, blessing other people. And of course, we could think about, you know, the hand of protection. It's a funny thing when you talk about God's protection. It's described in the Bible as a hand. And it feels like when his hand lifts, it's not that God is bringing judgment. It's just that that's what allows the enemy to come in. And I'm telling you, in these days, you need the hand of protection. Because discerning people can sense that it's almost like the hand of protection is lifting from America. I mean, you can sense it. Trouble is on the horizon for the whole world. But what you need is that protective hand on your life. You know, I remember I was sitting in a a service, the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, when I was about 23 years old with some family and some friends. And I felt so alone, and I didn't know what to do because I was praying about direction for my future. And as I was praying, I just felt a hand on my shoulder. Just felt, and it, no one was there. I just felt the hand of the Lord, his protective guidance. And I've never forgotten that moment in my life, just, just feeling like he was there with me to help protect me. I don't know if you sense that you have the protective hand of God, but I'm telling you, he wants to be there for you. He wants to protect and make a way for you. And I just want to pray this over you. How, how many of you are faced with some kind of conflict or strife that you need an answer for to get through? Is, is there a battle that you're enduring? Is there a situation you don't know what to do with? And, and, and I, I mean, it just seems like you're in this battle over and over again. And if you're facing something like that, I just want to pray that over this church. I want to pray that over our congregation today. So will you pray with me? Just put your hands up and say, Lord, help me. Protect me. Lord, I just thank you for an obedient group of people. I thank you for the hand of protection and the blood of Jesus over every one of these members, over every one of these people. We thank you for your grace, your goodness, your favor, your hand of goodness and kindness. Father, I thank you that you've not forgotten us, you've not forsaken us. Lord, I I just pray that seeds that people have sown are going to manifest. They're going to come to fruition, come to fullness. Lord, I thank you this morning for your hand of favor and protection. And I pray for the inspiring inspiring spirit of God to come alive within us, that we would not be victims, but victors and victorious in Jesus' name. Thank you for your hand of favor. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for strength. Thank you for arming us for battle. Thank you that we overcome in these days in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. I want to pray for my friend Gino. Gino, stand up back there. Gino has been in some battles. Reach a hand. This man was, you know, he almost drove off a cliff this last week and was killed. But God kept you alive, didn't he? Yes, he did. Let's pray over Gino. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you. <laughs> you don't have many hairs in your head, but the Lord knows the hairs that are up there, Gino. <laughs> He's got you covered, man. <laughs> I see it. Lord, I thank you for your hand of protection and, and, and favor that's keeping him. You, he kept you alive. He's going to continue to keep you alive. In the name of Jesus, we just pray over that. The protective hand of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I'm grateful for the Lord. Grateful for a hand of protection. I I was, uh, I'm in this season of life right now where my kids are just getting old enough to understand things, and they're smarter than you think they are. So they have been asking me about Halloween, wanting to know why we don't have all the ghosts in the yard, why we don't celebrate it like Christmas. So I was trying to explain to them, you know, Halloween, and uh, I was trying to take it from a theological angle. You know, Halloween is 
really the way they started celebrating All Hallows Eve, because November the 1st is All Hallows Day, and that's a day in other countries where they celebrate saints and martyrs who detained into heaven. That's really what it's about. It's, it's the, the hallowed ones, the ones that had died and passed on and went into heaven, and it's a way of celebrating them. So I was trying to explain that to my kids. I don't know if it got through as much as that we get candy. That's okay. We love candy. But it made me think about attaining heaven. You know, there's only one way for you to attain heaven. And that is not through your good deeds. It's not through being a good person. The only way that you're ever going to attain heaven is when you put your faith in Jesus and his finished work. Because as, as we understand it, you and I are all guilty of sin. If we asked you if you lied, stolen, cheated, looked at a woman to lust after her, everything in one of those commandments, every one of us has violated it in some way. And if we stood before the judge, we would be guilty of sin. But the good news is we have an advocate, a lawyer. Your defense attorney, whose name is Jesus, stepped in and he said, uh, I will pay that fine and I will go to the cross and shed my blood so that you have access into heaven with me. That's what it means to be saved. You just say, Lord, I trust that you have covered my sin. That is what attaining to heaven is about. Not your works, but about the blood that was shed. So with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you a chance. Just put a hand up and say, Lord, I accept you in my heart. It's not about the activities and the things I've done. It's about have I placed my faith in you? Is that blood covering you? Man, his blood is so precious and powerful. His blood. I see that hand back there. Yeah. I just take a moment. I want everyone to pray with me. Say, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me. And I want you in my life. And I want a relationship with you. And I'll ask that you reveal yourself to me. I'm grateful to be a member of your family. In Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer and you're sincere about it, it's a very simple thing. I put my faith in Jesus and he delivers me from the wrath to come. I thank God for the Lord. Amen. Will you stand up with me this morning? Man, I just feel the presence and the peace of the Lord. So you know what? I feel like God's going to protect you this week. I just feel that. I don't know what battle you'll be faced with. I don't know what cliff you car might drive off. I do know that God's hand will be with you wherever you go. That you don't have to have battles that overtake you. You can be the victor in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. So we're glad you came out to Bethany Church. I want to challenge you to invite somebody out because we care about people. Every one of you is valuable, and we love people. And if you need prayer for a battle that you're in, man, we're here to pray with you. We'll stand with you. We'll, see, we'll help pray, and, and God will move on your behalf. And if you're new to Bethany, we'd love to have you join us next Sunday. We're having a, a meal, a time of fellowship to hear the heart behind our church. And if you've never been through the Next Steps class, man, we'd love to have you join us. You can sign up out there in the foyer. So we love you. God bless you.